0: Welcome to Season 2 of The Bean Pod, a podcast about decentralized finance and the Beanstalk Protocol. I'm your host, Rex. Before we get started, we'd like to again remind everyone that we here at the podcast are super bullish about Beanstalk Protocol and other DeFi projects. But as we've seen time and time again, this is still a risky space. So with that in mind, Always do your own research before investing in a project, including anything covered here in the podcast, and never, ever invest funds that you can't afford to lose. And with that, on with the show. So for a lot of the beanbot episodes, we've either interviewed guests or we've talked about projects. Um, but for this episode, we wanted to change things up a little bit. Uh, we've got our good friend, Caesar, who is... An expert on a wide variety of projects and protocols, and has really just become known as a generally smart person to be talking with. And um, we decided we would sit down and just pick one or two topics on a regular basis to provide a little bit of review on, and just give some of our personal insight, and maybe wrap in a little bit of news and current events. And we want to try that out uh, for this episode as is kind of a first go around. Hey, Caesar, how's it
1: going? It's going pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. All right. I'm pretty excited. Let's, let's let's talk about the macro stuff.
0: One of the big things that's happened in the real recent past, we're recording this on February 2nd, but just yesterday, February 1st, the Federal Reserve announced that it raised its rates again. Um, so the Federal Reserve raised its rates by 25 basis points, or 0.25 percentage points, which is essentially... Um, It's the rate at which it lends money out.
1: So this is the 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 rate for like bonds or for just like lending to the banks. Like,
0: yeah, this is what they call the overnight federal funds lending rate. So essentially, as money moves back and forth in and out of the Fed, it is there is a any money that's lent has a particular interest rate assigned to it, and that is established by the Federal Reserve, The that rate has been steadily increasing to fight inflation. And so the overall goal is to stem the tide of inflation by raising that overnight lending rate with um, the idea that as that rate gets higher, it essentially gets more expensive to borrow money. And that higher expense for borrowing money will in turn um, cause the economy to slow in a variety of ways. And the goal is to try to hit some kind of sweet spot between a slowing economy that will in turn cool inflation and some type of recessionary backlash. You know, the problem is that if it gets too expensive to borrow money, that economic growth will slow down so much that we could enter some type of recessionary environment. And so this is really the broader question that we're looking at from both like a a general macro standpoint and from the crypto space is, you know, is the U.S. economy in a place where we're moving towards a recession? Um, Is the, the Federal Reserve doing what they should be doing to help manage inflation but avoid a recession and then in turn you know what does that look like in crypto is is a recession going to have an immediate impact on crypto investing and if so you know how long does that does that um, does it, that impact last so i guess the first thing that goes through my mind along these lines is that we know that crypto is considered a risk on asset it is a place where right now a lot of individuals look for speculative gain and so when the economy is not doing quite as well people tend to look for they tend to look for safer investments things like government bonds and so overnight rate goes up and there's talk about it potentially reaching as high as five or five and a half percent to again to to manage inflation. Will that drive dollars, continue to drive dollars out of riskier assets
1: in and into more safe ones? Well, based on what you're saying here, uh it kind of uh makes me think a few things. Like, first of all, let's let's kind of like translate everything you've said into like crypto terms. So like basically the Fed, if you can think of it like they have the ability, if they were compound finance to just change the interest rate of everything that's borrowed, right? Like let's say there's only one token on compound, it's USDC, and people are, you know, borrowing it, right? So they've raised it from, you said four until 4.5 or something like this, or 4.7. 4.5 to 4.75, yeah. 4.75, so basically what that's doing, like it, you said, it's it's uh, making it more expensive to borrow. But in essence, what they're trying to do is they're trying to call in debt, right? To people who've already borrowed, they're encouraging them to repay their debt, right? To give back money to the Fed. And then the Fed will just hold it or in, in essence, maybe even burn it, right? Like kind of take it off the uh, take it off of the circulating supply. I'm not sure if they do that or not. Maybe you can speak on that. Like when they when people repay the the Fed, do they just hold those dollars in a bank account somewhere or do they actually reduce the supply of USDC or USD in the world?
0: Yeah, so there are probably a few different ways that the Fed can affect the money supply, and probably a lot of them are over my head and kind of outside of the bounds of normal conversation. But I think the big tools that they typically use, or at least the things that we hear a lot about, are quantitative tightening and quantitative easing. And so right now, we're going through a tightening phase where you know the Fed is trying to remove liquidity from financial markets. And usually they're doing that by selling treasury bonds um, or they're just letting them mature and they're not necessarily replacing them. And so that, you know, through that process, liquidity on markets goes down. And so how about we transition back to that idea of, you know, so you were relating it in terms of in terms of crypto and like what that what that would mean for an analogous scenario on chain.
1: Yeah, this is what the, the part that's confusing me. Like, if if they're po- pulling back debt, right? So then that's reducing people's ability to leverage up on stuff. So therefore, they are reducing their risk on assets, right? Because there's just less money flowing around to, for them to throw around, right? So then, why does why did the markets our markets pump as a result of them raising the interest rate? To me it seems counterintuitive. Like is it like it could be just like the people are like had enough of this guy and they're like, let's get out of here, or is it is this something that should be expected? To me it's it's counterintuitive that it should not be expected.
0: Yeah, that, and that's a great point. And what how I interpret this is that there are there are market expectations around what those increases in rates will be. And all the news leading up to the meeting yesterday said that there was going to be an increase of about 25 basis points, this this quarter of a percent increase. And the impression that I get from the market's reaction is that what happened was what was expected. So we have seen in the past, we've seen rates that have been increased by more than expectations and that's usually when we see the market dump and so yeah the fact that they went from four and a half to four seven five aligned with expectations and in general i think the market saw that and said all right that is not as big of a hammer as they could have used to help manage inflation and so we're happy about that and in turn that's where we that's why we saw the market pump that's
1: interesting well, while you were talking, I thought of uh, like another possibility as well. Is that like if they are, like, burning the, the supply, then, that in essence should increase the value of all assets, right? Because, the price should stay the same, but the, the U.S. dollar is therefore worth more. So maybe people are trying to get a, get in before the burn. You know what I mean?
0: Sure. Well, and in, in the you know I think the where is you know where's the US economy headed in general and then what does that matter for us in the crypto world so you know what i seem to be seeing just through through general reading is that there's a lot of work going into managing this tightrope walk between ongoing inflation driven by an increase in money supply and overall economic health and stability. Every Everybody is working together to kind of walk this tightrope, you know, the Federal Reserve being one of those, the, the primary drivers around this balance. And in general, it seems like even despite all this work, the sentiment seems to be that we are headed into some type of Recessionary environment, probably later on this year, and I want to I want to um, kind of couch that with we actually have seen GDP information. We just saw it here, uh, well, just a few days ago, uh, for Q four of twenty twenty two, and there was still growth in the economy. I believe it was two point nine percent growth during the fourth quarter of twenty twenty two, and so. You know, that's again that's good news but I think there's still this looming potential recession on the horizon and it seems like there are there are a couple potential outcomes or approaches you know one potential outcome is that obviously one is that that we go through a recessionary period we see negative growth in terms of GDP there are all the the bad things that come with that, especially when it comes to like risk management and and people changing their investment profiles and portfolios and and potentially you know crypto seeing um, a more difficult period during that time because of more conservative investing habits that's definitely one possible outcome another outcome is that there may be the possibility of you know like let's say pushing a recessionary environment down the road. And that almost seems to be what I'm seeing. It's a combination of, you know, pushing this potential recession further out into the future. And while that's happening, working to manage the effects of it if we eventually get there. So, you know, there when the pandemic was happening and you know stimulus was pumping money into the economy there are a lot of folks who are saying hey like this is not we're going to overheat the economy the you know the only option is going to be the fed raising rates and you know this this could create problems in terms of economic growth later on and it seemed like you know there was a lot of fear especially in early 2022 late 2021 that we could be in a recession as early as mid
1: 2022 um can, can we go back to the kicking the can down the road? Like basically, um, does, does Powell or like the chairman, right. Does he get replaced like, like a normal election process or has he been in office in that office for 20 years and likely to be there for the next 10 years? Like that makes a huge difference, right? Like if he's going to be replaced in two years, three years, four years, then he's more likely to kick it down the road and go, that's not my problem. Then, you know what I mean? I'll just stay it off until like, until I retire, you know what I mean? <clears throat>
0: So, yeah, so the Fed chair is appointed by the president and then confirmed by Congress. Um, They serve four-year terms, but they don't have term limits. So there are Fed chairs that have served for long periods of time. I I know Alan Greenspan was Fed chair for a a long, long time. So, you know, a political appointee, but one that can span multiple presidents or or different political parties being in power. So – to your point about can kicking, I don't think that's necessarily a factor here. And like to, to pivot back to that thought for just a second, you know, I think the I think the, the thought process is, you know, if originally we were going to see a recession in 2022 and everybody thought it was going to be late 2022 and everybody thought it was going to be really bad, they've been able to potentially by really being careful about how um, the Fed rate has has been increased, they've been able to sustain positive growth, kick the can down the road. And while that's happening, that gives all the other parts of the economy extra time to navigate and recover. One of the things that that I think about is – all the supply chain issues that we were dealing with during the pandemic and then immediately thereafter you know when you you everything from you know toilet paper to semiconductors we were dealing with all these supply chain problems but with the economy being able to with the economy having some time to recover without moving into a recessionary environment these pieces have had a chance to, to, to heal a little bit, if you will. The, I mean, the best example that I can think of are, our semiconductors and chips, um, you know, for months, even after, you know, the, the restrictions of the pandemic, the main restrictions of the pandemic were lifted, we were still hearing about supply chain issues and, you know, and automakers had cars that were you know, piling up facilities that were ready for delivery, except for except for their control chips, and now we're starting to hear more and more stories about those chips being delivered, vehicles being delivered, and some of those supply chain issues as a whole are starting to find relief. And so, as the economy navigates, when I think back about the crypto space, I think okay, we may be able to navigate this space as well and not see such a shocking turn from higher risk assets as I think we had originally anticipated.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Like like at least crypto doesn't have like supply chain issues, but at the same time like people who are you know looking at diverse portfolios like large funds and large players and so forth that are in all of it, right? Instead of just DGENs on you know, trading coins, they, they do consider it a risk on asset and they probably, they're not going to move from like, like Tesla stock or something like somebody, someone who has a supply chain asset, supply chain issue into like, you know, Ethereum or even like some like crazy altcoins, right? So. I think it's like when they they see that they're they're less risk on assets, like something like a a Tesla stock, which is, is still quite volatile, right? But when they see that is quite comfortable, then they kind of consider exploring crypto. Whereas I think we would kind of hope that that correlation goes away and that people don't consider like crypto to be the step after like your Teslas and your your Microsofts and Fant- or uh, you know, uh, Facebook stocks and stuff like this, right? So I'm I'm hoping that I think we all hope that w- we separate from that. But it, it's it's tough when it comes to like the large players when that that's they're the people who are moving vast amounts of money and causing those those the tide to rise or or slow, right? Because like they I don't think like anyone who works at BlackRock is using any of BlackRock's funds to buy like some random shit coin, right? Like they're, they're, they're just buying the, the blue chips, if that, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. And the, I mean, the other thing that is worth keeping in mind here, and I've been talking about talking about inflation and that's also something that we have just gotten, you know, some, some insight into is that, inflation is slowing. So, you know, consumer price index last, uh, last report we saw. So rose at an annual rate of six and a half percent. And so that is, that's in line with expectations. And I don't think there are a lot of folks that would say that that is, that that's, that's good. I mean, you know, that it, it's not that inflation is going down, you know, we're not in like a deflationary environment. But it is rising not as fast. And you know, mid-2022, mid early 2022, we were talking about like, you know an, a nine percent CPI. So to be back to six and a half and knowing that like knowing that the target for inflation is usually considered, you know, somewhere around two to three percent, knowing that we're headed back towards that. I think is another positive sign for folks that, that are trying to trying to manage their risk, and and potentially willing to to look at assets that that have a little bit more have a little bit more risk and opportunity along with
1: them. When when you say like inflation's still going right, so the the, the Fed has hiked rates to borrow, but there are. Like tradfi degens that are like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'll still borrow that. I can beat that in the markets. I can beat that and you know whatever asset they they want to speculate on or invest in. Right? They're still borrowing the money from the Fed. Like the Fed is actually not breaking back anything. People are not paying back debts even though the interest rate is rising. Is that the consensus? If if inflation is positive then that means people are still borrowing from the Fed, right?
0: Yeah, so when a treasury bond or, or any treasury security matures, the holder gets the face value and then any remaining interest payment. Now, keep in mind that they've also been getting interest payments throughout the life of that bond. So they may have been you know, getting payouts every six months for some interest percentage right along the way. But then when it matures, the bond is is paid out in terms of total value and then whatever interest is still there. And then a lot of times it's just kind of reissued from the government. So kind of just, you know, it's just this continuous debt cycle. The piece to keep in mind here is that more broadly and almost philosophically, it's not really in the United States' best interest to necessarily even pay back those debts because those the, the debts themselves become monetized and tradable and so you know that's that's where you get this idea of being able to to purchase and sell bonds that have a specific interest rate you know the idea is that even once these once these bonds are matured they're still a uh, they're a low risk yield bearing asset and so you know the the thought of this even the you know the thought of those bonds being paid back is there's a low expectation that those bonds will be paid back they certainly they they could be you know people could choose to trade in bonds for face value and and collect on them but it's almost in an investor's best interest rather than rather than to cash bonds in instead to hang on to them and and enjoy the yield that they bear
1: when someone does decide to to cash in a bond whoever that person might be right or entity do they does the government then print them the the value of that bond or is that money somewhere that needs to be sent to them like do you understand what i mean like the bond is with the printer or the bond is with someone who who borrowed the who, who basically took that money and went to use it somewhere Do you know what i mean like there's two kinds of debts like you can have a debt with a, a protocol where after that time is up they will just print those tokens and give them to you like a, like an olympus bond right and then you have debts where oh I, I i will pay you interest on the stuff you've lent me but i'm gonna go take that stuff and degen with it so, which is the case for the the government bonds? Like, are they using that money somewhere, or are they just going to print it when the bond is when the bond is up?
0: So, good example is ten year Treasury bond, and it does pay out the face value to the holder of maturity. The so pays out its interest rate over over its term on six or every six months, and then pays out face value of maturity. So, it's not the idea that the um, that the bond ha- continues to to bear yield after it matures but it's that the once the face value is paid out they're almost immediately essentially in a practical sense they're almost immediately replaced by additional bonds so in other words the the lending process continues
1: yeah i understand i understand completely from the government yeah it's just like instead of like it's like just zapping right into another position right like just repay and and rebond all in one like transaction pretty much right like for the most part right more or
0: less and then and then during their life during their life the value will fluctuate based on nearness to maturity you know so so think about it this way the um that 10 year bond will have not only will have its its face value, it'll also have its potential to earn yield, and the the value of that bond will will change over time based on how close it is to maturity.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, people will be able to cash it in and get that money immediately. So,
0: yeah. And the closer it gets to maturity, the closer it gets to face value.
1: Mm. It makes sense because there's no risk then, right? It's lowering the risk, right? That's it.
0: Yep. Yeah, and well, and it's lowering the re- the potential return. You know, so eventually, you know, if you buy a ten year bond that's got X number of percentage, and you buy it right at its issuance, you will potentially be able to take advantage of the entirety of that of that interest as it's issued. But as it gets closer to maturity, the amount of interest that you will be able to that you'll be able to accrue or that you'll be able to capture goes down and therefore the value of the bond goes down until it gets to its its face value.
1: Okay, so it's not like a share token. It's more like 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 like, like a vault share token where, you know, the yield is added into it and then when it matures, you get the full amount of the value that was ever accumulated. No, it's actually more like a dividend piece where, you know, you it holds like say $100,000 and Every couple, every month, every term, every quarter, or whatever, they pay interest to you. So it's it's cash yielding, right? It's, yes. Okay. okay yeah, that makes a huge difference. Yep.
0: To- yeah. So if you know if you were to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of year ten year bonds, at you know three and a half percent interest, I can't do the math fast enough in my mind. You know, but let's say that the total interest to be paid out over the life of those hundred thousand the hundred thousand dollar investment is four thousand dollars that you know you would be able to
1: get a couple hundred dollars a month or something like this yeah yeah yep. okay
0: and as you get closer to the the maturity date the closer your the, the actual value or the trading value gets to $100,000 because i'm not going to buy i'm not going to buy $100,000 worth of $100,000 worth yep i'm going to buy them based on what how much interest i can accrue over the the remaining life mm.
1: Otherwise, it's just a transaction for nothing, right?
0: That's exactly it.
1: Yeah. Um, there was something I heard about recently that kind of is quite macro, and, and maybe we can kind of talk about this. And it's 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 similar in this sense, and I think it can have some some influence on uh, on crypto if it were to come to to fruition. And basically, there was a couple bills that I heard were getting like thrown around. I don't know. It may it might have been a couple months ago. You you might. Remember this or know of this, and that is that they were considering talking. They were talking about the idea of dismantling the entire IRS and just putting a consumer tax on everything. So instead of you know tax rate of whatever it is in whatever state you're in, let's say five percent, four percent, thirteen percent, maybe they would jack that up to thirty percent, forty percent, and then just use that to to basically pay the government's needs, right? Like to all the government's costs. Right. So I thought about this in, in, the, in, the re, in relativity to crypto and like the IRS is pretty rough. Like, like nobody likes having to deal with it. Like they, I've even gone so far as to say that like the purpose of the IRS is to create accountant jobs, like the, the, the difficulty to navigate The IRS has created entire sectors of employment for people, you know, like to, to basically master this crazy system and then help you to just navigate it safely. Right. So like if they were to dismantle the IRS, it would kind of control, like kind of destroy that industry. Right. So there's that consideration. But as a crypto person, if there was no IRS and it was just purely consumer tax, I wonder if they would still be like every time you buy and sell crypto on chain you have to you know submit that as a we have to tax that or just basically the idea that every time you convert any of that stuff into fiat into our money that you want to spend in our country then we will tax that what are your yeah. thoughts on this
0: <clears throat> yeah it's a that's an interesting interesting concept you know i think. There's kind of two things at play there. One is, you know, kind of your first point. I, I don't think there are a lot of folks, really, regardless of where they sit on the political spectrum, that would say that you know, man, not only is the IRS knocking it out of the park, they're also really easy to work with and things are straightforward. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of general agreement that the IRS is kind of a, a, an arcane or difficult organization to navigate with a lot of very complex regulations and rules and, you know, inner workings in groups. And so, to to your second point i think the the broader question is is there a way to achieve the goals that a particular government has that are more straightforward and so you know when you you know, think about the crypto space and who lives and works inside of it i mean you've got such a broad spectrum and really admittedly it's one of the things that that i enjoy about it is that you know you almost actually almost kind of see both sides of the spectrum you you see folks that you know are 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 very progressive in terms of their political views and you know see crypto as a place to to build I'm going to use the term equity, not in the not in the financial sense, but in the social sense. You know, to to give underserved or underbanked um, individuals and people groups an opportunity to to use systems. That can help them succeed so you know that's like that's a very progressive stance and then on the extreme other side you've got extremely conservative folks that are very suspicious of the government and have very little trust in you know public institutions and say you know I want to be involved in in cryptocurrency because because this is this is something that I can have control over I don't it's it's trustless I don't have to trust that someone else is going to, you know, take care of my money for me. I have the ability to manage this, and so both of those concepts are kind of at play here. And you've got, you know, the IRS doing its thing, trying to effectively provide revenue for the federal government through taxation, whether or not as effective. I, I, whether or not it's effective, I think that's you know there's probably a lot of folks that would would probably debate that it's it's certainly not efficient and you know is it effective or not not completely sure, but the idea of like pivoting to something like consumption tax offers the possibility of a system that is more straightforward, and you know so consumption taxes like a lot of um, other like simplified tax codes you know basically latch onto the idea that you know I'm only going to be taxed on on what I consume like the the first one that comes to mind is like sales tax i mean that's essentially a consumption tax and the the implications of that are that the the process is supposed to be straightforward they're like it's not a system where, like, I'm trying to do my income taxes, which I'm trying to do my income taxes right now, and I'm looking back at, looking back at my, my IRL wages that I earned during the year, and then looking at crypto investments and working with an accountant and trying to, you know, navigate really, really sometimes very confusing laws and regulations and trying to get it right so that, you know, so that I can be legal and, you know, and, and everything's copacetic. Whereas if you move to something like cons- a consumption tax, you're taxed on the spot or at the point of consumption of a good, or when you're purchasing a consumption driven good and you just say, that's it, that's the tax that I pay. And I think, you know, a couple questions that linger, one is, w- how broad and how large would a consumption tax have to be to meet the needs of the federal
1: government because well it, I think it would reduce like the needs as well at the same time, like you can't just say, "Oh, the government needs this much money now, and how are we going to get that much money by doing this taxation system because like for example, the entire irs would be almost nullified like you would have only, you would only, the, the consumption tax would only need to be, you would only need to regulate or watch or police or whatever you want to call this, the business owners. And that's orders of magnitude lower than the uh, the consumers, right? So like, it's just, you the consumer doesn't have to worry. He goes into the store, he says, oh, a bag of chips is, you know, $4, $6, whatever, right? That's what it is. And that's all he cares about. He just pays it. Now, the only person who has to worry about the government getting their, their share of that is the business owner, not the thousands of people that are going into the store every day, buying stuff. So the government doesn't need to deal with them, right? It just needs to deal with those individual businesses. And then in the fact that like a a consumer doesn't need to, to spend all that time, they don't have to audit anything. They don't have to check anything. They don't have to, there's, there's a lot less trust. You know, if they, if they do decide to audit anything, then it's, audit a business, right? Instead of audit, you know, which one of these, you know, millions of individuals should we audit, right? So I I think it would reduce this a lot as well, right?
0: Well, and the, I mean, the other piece of that is that you could even make it more straightforward if there was, you know, kind of an automatic pass through system. And, and, you know, really when I, again, I think about a consumption tax, think about sales tax. And right now, like the, I mean, that that tax could be applied at point of sale. If you're in, if you're in a truly digital economy, in the future you could apply that tax at the point of sale, and, and theoretically, you wouldn't necessarily even need to audit the at the business level or to manage at the business level. But you know the the trade off there is that I think you're you know that a system like that would be putting an increasing amount of trust in a in a government system that that actually implements that taxation, and so. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise a good point about, like, what is a fair way to manage a system like that? And the, I mean, the other the other thing that goes through my mind is, you know, what are the other forces that keep some of these systems in place? You know, is that, like, there is the, the, I feel like the argument that I've heard in the past about, um, Changing to fully electronic tax filing systems in the U.S., um, the, one of the biggest arguments that I've heard against that has to do with CPAs. So CPAs have a very strong lobbying group, um, and they have managed to successfully avoid using a strictly paperless system to file taxes.
1: Yeah, 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 It's just people keeping their jobs, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I think that is probably an important consideration to keep in mind is that, you know, there are there are folks that whether the system's arcane or not, they are personally tied to it and vested in it and have an interest in seeing it continue.
1: Mm, yeah, of course, of course. That's the way of all things though, right? Like like the, if the government does do like a, like a, c- a CBDC, right, then- that would basically solve the, the the idea of having to ask business owners to to pay you know to uh, pay their taxes because like you're like you said it would just be automatically deducted from the transaction, and as and that's not even something that like Visa couldn't do you know what I mean like Visa could also do that for the government or any of the bank like ATM machine ATM transactions stuff like that. But I, I do think like, you know, like there is a lot of inefficiency in the government in that sense. And, you know, sometimes I speculate or think about the ideas of like a DAO run government. And I've even tweeted in the past and people say, oh, that's never going to work or, or, or people say, yeah, that's cool. And that's great. And just the idea that like individual like uh, entities of the government could instead be DAOs. Right. Like I'm it's it's pretty utopian in in, in our in our eyes because we love crypto so much, but. It could be done as DAOs. Like if you have an interest in, in uh, you know, I don't know, waste management, like the sewer systems, and you have an expertise in that, then you just join the DAO, right? And you get paid with like basically revenue. So the government collects, you know, their U.S. dollars from the taxation system and they just fund these DAOs. And then the DAOs use that to, to pay the, the individuals who contribute to the DAO, right? And it, there could be tokens if they wanted, you know, you could use you know, token in token systems, tokenomic systems inside those DAOs to you know, buy back the tokens, So that like every dollar is that is given to this DAO or this entity basically increases the value of everybody who is part of that DAO. But I start to think about like the problem of like people who who take jobs for the most part want uh, consistency or they, they, they crave uh, stability and security, right, in, in their lifestyle, right? So they're willing to take l- less money in a sense, p- perhaps on the, on the grounds that they will continue to get that money for a long time. So, what I found in DAOs is they tend to be a little bit fickle and uh, people come and go quite often, you know, like it's quite, you know, it's very trendy, right? Like they, they jump around from trend to trend. So I'm wondering if like a Dow that runs, you know, that manages and runs all the sewage and water treatment of a city would in fact be stable and not, you know, crumble. You know what I mean? Cause it can't. Right.
0: And it's, I mean, it seems like that is something that, you know, we think, think about beanstalk. That's something that we've been talking about a lot. You know, here over the last over the last month or so. You know, how do you govern a DAO in a way that's sustainable, even with transients and folks that you know that are that are you know here for a short while and and you know while things are are hot and interesting, but you know when when projects cool or when you know when things take longer than expected, interests change. You know, is is there a way to maintain that, that, um, you know that level of engagement? Because yeah, I mean, it, crypto projects, you know, can can kind of, to a certain extent, can kind of come and go, but sewer systems, that's a different, it's a whole different ball game. You know, you you need. If if you're going to have a group like a DAO that could theoretically manage you know a public works system or any type of like critical infrastructure, yeah you you can't run into problems of low engagement because that turns sour pretty quick.
1: Literally, the only way to get around it would be to allow the the upcoming of several DAOs, like perhaps the actual physical infrastructure is owned by the government, and then the the maintenance or you know the running of that, those, that that infrastructure, is granted to several DAOs, and they compete for the larger portion of that budget. In in a sense, so then there is some market forces. But you know, DAOs kind of can really swing a lot on popularity. Like you know, someone who's who's popular in the space gets a much more vibrant DAO than someone who just runs it efficiently in, in some senses. You know what I mean? But if it is efficient and it is doing the job and it is getting the work done, then I, I wouldn't see why not. Like it, because it would have to be the, the problem with like the public work system that I see in the government is uh, they don't answer your questions. Like I, uh, I recently got a bill for, for uh, my, my, one of my children. And the bill was like, basically, you need to pay this amount of money because your kid stays here at lunchtime and we have to hire someone to to monitor your kid at lunchtime. So I I sent them an email and I said, okay, can you answer me some questions about transparency? I said, like some of the questions were like, you know, why doesn't the homeroom teacher do this? Uh, How much are you guys paying an hour to these people? How many students are in each of those people? And, you know, stuff like this and, you know. Just how did the, the my my bill? Wh- how did that number? How did you come up with that number? Yeah, you're like yeah, exactly. Like, how does this add up to paying those people? And they basically didn't answer me at all. They just said, "Oh, your child is here, and you have to pay this thing." So I'm like, "That that's a problem." But you won't see that in a DAO. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, you might see it in some DAOs, but if the DAOs run properly then you would get your answers, you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, this person, and you know, I suspect it's just like entitlement, like I don't understand why the homeroom teacher cannot just, like it's not, she's not feeding them. They're not babies, you know what I mean? It's, they're just, she just needs to sit there, right? So we're paying someone to just sit there. And I, I just didn't understand why this was a necessity and why the tax dollars doesn't cover this if it is a necessity.
0: Yeah that's a, that's a really interesting really interesting thought and yeah you know, I I think entitlement might be a a component and then just just ease in terms of man that's a really thorny question and I don't know if I want to get into it here's a here's something of a form answer have a good day and you know and and hope the uh hope that you're satisfied
1: yeah I hope that I go away pretty much yeah totally yeah <laughs> And I did. So I did go away because, you know, yeah. I, got, I got bags to manage, right?
0: That's right. <laughs> got you got to manage those bags. Caesar, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll, we'll do this again as much as possible.
0: The Bean Pod is a production of Beanstalk Farms, a decentralized autonomous organization. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, medium discord and our home on the web at bean.money you can also find me on twitter at rex the bean and as a final reminder this podcast is not financial advice thanks again for listening